What are you morons doing? What? Tell her where's the car? Come on, we gotta go now. Not now! Wait, what, what do you mean, not now, Bobby? You started this. Started what? Joel's gone after Dumas. He's a big boy. He can take care of himself. I've got things to do. Oh, you have things to do. Great. So, so I shit on a friend for you? For what, Bobby? So you can walk away? He's got a gun. He's gonna kill him. We gotta go. I'll talk to him. All right, listen, Lainey. You stay here. I'll be back. No, I'm coming with you. Michael Govier, and today's show will focus on Dream a Little Dream of Me. It's going to be a lot of fun today. We won't have Eric Branstrom, though. He's on location thinking about life and society, and as he does that, it'll just be me and my old pal Travis Roy today, just the two of us. Uh, would you prefer to be called just the two of us, a uh, gruesome twosome? Do you have another duality you'd like to offer? Um, can I be Coleman and you can be Bobby? that sound good oh wow yeah that's actually <laughs> apropos how about that that does have something to do with the film that we'll focus on today dream a little dream which we'll do a little bit later and we're gonna cover our quarantine viewing picks we'll do a little bit of movie chatter and of course your emails <laughs> no just kidding there's no emails but if you did email the show cinemaninepod <laughs> at gmail.com is how you can do that travis how you doing today we're on a saturday show here we're you know usually we try to do thursdays but you know, weird technological things happen. And then our friend Luke, by the way, uh, he had his baby this morning. So that did happen. Congratulations yeah. to our friend Luke Horvath, who has created a child in this world. Yeah. 
big, big congratulations to Luke. Uh, I would definitely say that it's getting to the point that we're so irregular with our schedules that it's boring to explain it and complain about it and be like, oh, we got together on a blah, blah. Who fucking cares at this point? Because we're <laughs> like so off the reservation. But on the other hand, this was kind of an interesting thing because it was going to be the three of us like always. Then Eric dropped out and then Mike dropped out. So it was going to be me and Luke. And this weird thing happened where like, text just got like lost in like whatever and i'm sitting here waiting to hear from them and they're waiting to hear from me and i get like 30 texts later on in the day but it turns out if i had gone on it would have been just me and luke i would have been drunk and then luke would have left about 15 minutes in i would have been by myself because i was ready i mean i was ready to just go and loaded for dreamy little dream because who gives a shit i haven't drank on this podcast in like two years I'm like, fuck it and it was gonna be me by myself like rambling into the microphone so it really worked out nicely that it, we're doing it here on a saturday Nice little Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been yeah. funny. I would like to have just seen that later on if that did happen. <laughs> oh, Chris's water broke. Got to go. There's yep, Travis, yep. like uh, Garth in Wayne's World all by himself. Just just like <laughs> reaching, just trying to like talk about Robards and Feldman and Han, <laughs> but and Stanton and Laurie, uh, everybody, the whole, I mean, the whole team. Luke, Luke loves Harry Dean Stanton. He's like one of his favorites, one of his personal faves. And yeah. uh, but he did respond with a comment, which I guess we could share later when we do dream a little dream. I don't understand it. Some people don't get it. Nobody understands it. But I do understand that we love movies here, at Cinema Nine. And make sure you five star mm. review us. Give us a sub on the YouTube channel. We got plenty of movies that we've covered over 146 episodes, and so whatever it is, we've probably done it. Although. When you think about it, Travis, there's if you do 146 episodes with the movie, the focus of each one, that still leaves what, like four million other movies. There, there are many, many movies, but I, I've noticed, you know, because typically we'll record an episode and I'll listen to it once, just to like cringe my way through my own comments and be like, oh, quit interrupting people. Um, but <laughs> when I listen to like the last few episodes. I swear to God, almost every movie we reference, we don't even mention it. We're like we reference like five or six movies that we've already done on previous episodes. We don't even. Oh, you can check out that episode. We don't even mention it. There's just so many movies that we've done at this point that when we reference one, it's pretty likely it's getting to be. It, it, certainly, if it's like, you know, of note. Yeah, it seems like we've done it. How many movies think come out in a given year? Like, is it even possible to quantify? I mean, I don't know. Ten thousand is that too much? Well, 12 months I mean, in a year, four weeks, right? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's like 8,000. Are we including international films? Uh, uh, yeah. you know, are we just looking at the big studios? Because the big studios typically do about 10 to 15 a year. Uh, then you have, of course, all the independent stuff and like the many, many horror features that get churned out for like five bucks a pop, apparently, to go up on Voodoo or Pluto <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say I wouldn't say 8,000 a year, but I, I wouldn't even think 1,000 a year, but I would think a few hundred a year probably. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, if if it's a given week and you get, I don't know, four premieres here in America on a given week without thinking about the international market or the independent market or the streaming market. I mean, it's just all over the place now. We live in a world where things have changed, but we're trying to make mm. the best of it here. And since mm. it's the Cinema 9 podcast, we try to make the best of things here. It's time for our movie tidbit minute presented by whoever you want it to be presented by. We don't limit you with specific sponsors. We'd like to keep it open to all sponsors. Right, Travis? This is true. And also no one's sponsoring us. So Oh, well, okay. I'm just going to pretend <laughs> that someone sponsored us. All right, Travis, do you have a movie tidbit minute reveal for this week? 
I do. Um, I'd like Ooh. to send love out. It's not much, but I, I, I think we should all, I mean, well, it is, it's much to him. Everybody loves Keanu Reeves as they rightly should. I mean, regardless of his acting prowess, he's clearly a nice guy and a good guy. And, you know, he's, he's quickly on his way to becoming like going from America's dad, maybe to America's granddad, <laughs> you know, if he keeps getting older. Um, but my point being that he's pretty beloved, but apparently he's had a really bad few months because there is a, uh, an individual who has started stalking him. And this individual thinks that he's like, he's like, you know, he's mentally unwell and he thinks that Keanu Reeves is his father. And he's like showing up in the, in Keanu Reeves yard and like, uh, you know, all over the place. He's, he's been, uh, apparently, you know, it's like a daily thing for, for like three or four months now. And the guy doesn't have like, he's a, you know, he's a transient. He doesn't have like a set home. So the cops are having a hard time, like doing something about it. Cause he just kind of shows up. So, and, but he's also not really been a danger. It's just been, you know, spooky. So I, I let's all, you know, shout out to this poor, you know, the individual who needs help. Uh, may he get the help that he needs and best of luck to Keanu Reeves. Cause he seems like a sweet guy who should be, you know, contentedly left alone. He does. He's always been a fine gentleman who will show up in any movie. He could, Keanu Reeves could show up in any film. He'll surprise yeah. you. Like, I mean, he was you in Dracula, uh, there was another movie he showed up in recently. I was like, oh, my God, Keanu Reeves is there. Oh, it was the uh, the bulimic eating disorder film. I was like, oh, wow, he's the doctor. So he'll, he could be in anything because then he kicks ass. So Always be my maybe. That, that great. Uh, just shows up out of nowhere in that one. It's what? He does See? that. That's what he does. And he's I always know. kind to his fans and stuff. So it just seems like of all the celebrities to be left alone, let's, let's leave Keanu alone. But, uh, again, the guy's unwell, so what are you going to do? But I hope things work out for everybody involved. <laughs> Sounds like a... A strange thing to say. If this thing goes sideways, we like look back at this video like, man, maybe we should have done more. But what can we really do? We're just two bozos on a couch on a Saturday afternoon talking movies. I don't, we don't have a lot of power in this country, Travis. I don't know if you're aware of that. We're kind of we're on the outside of the power structure. Yeah. What do you want us to do? Are we vigilantes? We're going to go <laughs> guard Keanu Reeves's house. Yes. I, mean, I don't Sounds know like what a, action you're calling. We got a for. movie. We got a script here. I think we got a script. <laughs> Saving Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to go with the more of the business side. Uh, there was the announcement this week that Paramount Plus and Showtime have merged. So yeah. now, to me, this is a sign of more to come. There's going to be more mergers with streaming services because there's just too many damn streaming services anyways. And what will end up happening is probably... <laughs> happened before it's gonna be cable bundles but it won't be cable it'll just be like online streaming bundles is what it'll be and it's already in a way i guess if you have hulu there's also some other options that include other streaming services you have hulu right i do is, is this are there other streaming services included with the hulu or is that extra um no well i bundle my hulu with spotify actually um oh, so i pay okay. so i get those both for like 10 bucks a month or something that is an option night. right right but i don't need espn and I pay separately for Disney Plus because I just didn't happen to like sign up at the right time to get that bundle. So, hey, if you need that ESPN password, I'll hook you up, dude. Anytime. I'm good. I'm really, really good. Thanks. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, been... By the way, the article that I pulled this from, I just have to mention. You know, on the show, we're fascinated by names. You know, Bill Goody Coons and we got others. This guy's name is Thaddeus Tuffinsammer. <laughs> Thaddeus. <laughs> Tuffinsammer. Oh boy, that's that's a fun name, Tuffinsammer. Yeah. yeah, it's from. This can't be real because he works at 
dailystartreknews.com. It's so polysyllabic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Too much. Too what about much. the uh, the screen the, the screenshot I sent you of the director of that episode of Wings? Did you like that? Oh yeah, you know, I did see that. What was the name yeah. though? I forgot. The name was uh, Peter Boners. With yes. A Z. <laughs> so he's Peter a real guy. Boner. I I can only assume that that's not a real thing. That somebody oh. stepped. I mean, I, I, really, your name is Peter Boners. I just Z. I, I struggled. Z makes it classic. Yeah. It seems like that was an Alan Smithy kind of thing, but I don't know. <laughs> that was true. Wings. You, yeah, okay, we'll talk wings. Let's talk wings for the next hour. What do you say? You want to settle Love wings. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Love I, uh, wings. Tony Shalhoub, got to start. Uh, yeah, I'm watching wings. I love wings. Uh, so as far as, yeah, the Paramount thingy, I mean, if you're a Showtime fan, uh, I actually like Showtime when I do watch it. I haven't watched it in a long time, but there's some shows on there. That, I, that show with the... Uh, Jeff Daniels last year yeah, I watched about it canceled. It's pulled. That's oh, that's is. the downside to your story is that Showtime has responded to all this by doing like HBO Max did and start pulling all, like not just like canceling shows but pulling them from their streamers. So they just released two shows in the past year: the American Gigolo show and based you know based on American Gigolo, and then the, a show based on Let the Right One In. Both just vanished. You know, three months after they're out, they pulled them. They're just off the streamer. Rust. Uh, our American Rust was pulled. It's gone. It's just like, we're, so where is it? Where, how do how does this work accessed now? I hate this shit. Oh, well, that is disappointing. I mean, they still got, you know, Showtime has Billions. That's a, I think people love that. Do you ever watch Billions? I tuned out. I couldn't, I mean, the, the same, like, remember, you know, we've talked how I have, haven't been able to get into Succession. I have a hard time, like, having much oh, sympathy yeah. for rich characters. I could give a flying fuck. That's right. That's right. You know what? I commend you for having that because i feel similar to you but i don't know some reason i fire it up and i don't know why i mean i I watched billions for the first four seasons i haven't really caught up there might be more i think that pretty confident there are more than four seasons now but i couldn't get through the first season i'm just like okay a rich asshole or a rich asshole which one do i prefer here between these two protagonists (laughs) who's your favorite rich (laughs) asshole wow look how rich they are wow oh and how asshole (laughs) <laughs> uh, Showtime had Yellow Jackets, I think, which was a hit for them. So I like that first season. I'll I'll probably watch the second season. Yeah, and then of course they have Dexter, which uh, will always be a staple for a lot of people. Which I think is a little overrated, but it's still a good show. I'm not. I like I'm not it. like upset about it. So, all right, there you go. That's what's going on in the world of the movie slash entertainment slash streaming slash whatever you want to call 2023 entertainment. He's Travis. I'm Michael. There's no Eric today. Eric, wherever you are right now, I hope you're enjoying your day. Really enjoy this weekend, Eric. Cherish the time you have. Cherish as you... the time. Exactly. <laughs> Let Madonna be your guide this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Let's dive into what we have called Quarantine Viewing Picks, where we provide you with stuff we watched, and we would either recommend or not recommend, or just mention we watched it. It's really up to the individual. Travis, uh, what would you like to talk about this week? We we have called it that. I've watched a lot this week. Oh, um, you know, like some extra time with these extra couple of days. But uh, so I wedged some stuff in there. Uh, I you know I grew up on. I don't know if this is racist or not. I'm going to say a word that I don't know if it's racist or not. But I stopped saying it. But I don't think it really is. But when I was growing up, me and my brother used to watch something that we called Japanimation, with like kind of a portmanteau of japan and animation but people kind of stopped saying that but that's i grew up watching that now we call it anime i guess i hope that's not racist i apologize if it is i honestly don't know maybe i should if i if i'm guessing if i don't know maybe i shouldn't venture down that road i have not heard that being a issue at all but again i'm not japanese so i don't know i have i have no idea to be honest so i should probably 
Yeah, we can edit that one out from the live feed, right? <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, um, me and my brother did not get along that great growing up. My older brother, um, we oh. we had we found a common ground on some popular culture, and one of those things was anime. So I revisited uh, Appleseed from 1988. I've been kind of digging back into anime of late and general. I never got into like the TV shows. I can't do like 30 seasons of watching people almost fight. I just can't do it. Um, but I do still like the the movies and Appleseed held up really well. Um, as far as uh, newer, well, another old one, I, I'd actually never seen Tremors 2 before, Aftershocks, Pick, put that under my belt. That was uh, Fred Ward and his mullet was fun. Yeah, I wouldn't um, do that again. I, I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't do the follow-up. I actually enjoyed Tremors when I was a kid, but I never saw the second yeah. one. I never saw the second one either. And you know what? It wasn't that bad. I mean, it was what you wanted to be. It's a late night watch. It wasn't a, hey, let's sit down and, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and get really serious and watch uh, Dream a Little Dream. I watched <laughs> some stuff that is newer, such as You People, the, the new film with uh, Jonah Hill. And Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis Dreyfus. This has got like a five point two or five point six or something on IMDb. We fired it up. Did you watch it? We fired. Yeah, me and Leanne watched it uh, the other night. What do you think? You know, uh, there were some people who talked about it on some podcasts I listened to prior, without spoilers, just saying that it was uh, it seemed too intentionally woke. I guess was like or like it was like trying to. I guess you can't even tell a story for some people anymore about the challenges of culture clashes without it being perceived as woke, which I think is a little over the top that it's a time honored story is whether it's class warfare, you know, between economic status or it is cultures that come together, especially when people love each other and they want to get married and they've got family pressures, that stuff is real. So that's always a story that needs to be told. And I actually, I, I thought it was all right. I, I thought there were some funny moments and there was, I mean, you got a, like you said, a killer cast and yeah. Jonah Hill was uh rock solid. Jonah Hill kind of like kept the glue yeah. him and uh, his partner. I don't know her name. I don't know who that was, but uh, she was good too. I, yeah. I'm not sure of her name off the top of my head. I, I will say, I, I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I am grateful when people use the word woke in a pejorative way. Cause I'm like, Oh, now I know what kind of asshole I'm dealing with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that the uh, the movie, like a lot of comedies, has a strong first act. I laughed hard, and then it kind of, you know, starts to dwindle out as it goes on. Yet another movie that you know, chop twenty minutes off the thing, you've got a better movie. Laura um, London, by the way, is uh, Amira. That's who played Amira. Lauren London. I thought she did a good job. I thought the movie was funny. I'm surprised at the really low uh, IMDb rating. I mean, it's not the most original thing, but it, it made me laugh, and I felt for the characters, which is. That's more than you can say about a lot of movies. It was a combo, too. I didn't know that it was Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill collaborated on this. They were the writers, yeah. and Kenya Barris yeah. directed it. So and He popped in there for a second, too. Yeah. Little, and Eddie Murphy, cameo. it's good to see Eddie Murphy on screen. Eddie Murphy, this was a oh, unique so role for yeah. him, I thought. Yeah, it was different. Yeah. Like, he was great in it. I mean, he was funny. He was really funny in this. He Playing was. like a hard-edged asshole, like not being like funny and like, he wasn't like being like intentionally funny he was a lot more of like the straight guy but he was so fucking tough yes it's the first scene he showed up in <laughs> he's wearing a uh fred hampton was murdered uh shirt? love it yeah yeah, yeah like, okay awesome. well we're setting the tone right off the bat here <laughs> <laughs> he's got the the the, the kufi or the topi from uh from, from oh, yeah. Paragon. That, see that oh, dude. that was that was see that's good stuff because 
the, so again, these are spoilers. I assume no spoilers. you hope, not major spoilers though. I mean, these are pretty light spoilers. Oh, it's an obvious clash. Well, you have a, yeah, you have a well, you have an Islamic culture and a Jewish culture. You know, I mean, that's yeah, they're coming together to get married and lose Farrakhan. Yeah, Louis Farrakhan is a guy who said some anti-Semitic things. So I actually thought that was that scene in particular was a good setup. What do, what do people do? How do they react? Because they want to. Everybody wants to respect one another, but then there's like a line for everybody at a certain point. And despite everyone's best intentions, it can get complicated. And I think the movie did a good job of setting that stuff up and trying to see how people dealt with it. I agree. Certainly worth checking out. If you got Netflix, I mean, throw it on for an evening. It's, you know, you might not watch it over and over again, but I, I definitely think it's better than its IMDb rating, but most stuff is anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Well, one other thing I just want to say real quick is there was something else I watched over the weekend, and then I'll talk about it in my time, but uh, there's a fine, uh, there's a fine line here. My expression being that what you people or people perceive as like, overly aggressive poor writing to try to make a point about um, uh, cultural or racial aspects where it seems so obvious that it's forced forced writing is forced writing no matter what it is and that will always be bad but i don't i think people are making that mistake they're assuming that other movies that maybe things looked a little bit more forced and you thought like oh wow they're they're trying to shove an agenda down my neck i don't want to watch this whoever you are even if you're a rational human being i think there's a fine line between that and i really don't think that you people is doing that so if you've heard stuff check it out for yourself first which is something yeah. i think that most people should do regardless you know we we talk about critical reviews and we share ratings uh, but we always check movies out for ourselves yeah. And Jonah Hill, from what I understand, like he, he started the story, you know, he pitched the idea to Kenya Barris because he was dating a black woman and and was having these some experiences and thought it'd make, you know, good comedy fodder. But, you know, people, does. It, if individual experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if something deals with race or gender or religion in like a positive way and like trying to heal and like draw attention, et cetera, or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, you're going to find all kinds of fuck faces coming out of the woodwork. Uh, and yeah. you know, clicking that one button on the IMDb. I watched other movies as well. Like for like, I don't know how many times I've tried to watch the Adam Sandler movie, uh, or I have successfully watched the Adam Sandler movie. Just go with it, which sucks. And as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, <laughs> when did they go to Africa? Well, that's Blended. I finally realized that I've been meaning to watch rewatch Blended, so I rewatched <laughs> Blended. Whoops! <laughs> and they went to. Africa. <laughs> I've never seen either of those. I revisited uh, Wakanda Forever. Which uh, I loved, and I look forward to our eventual someday MCU special episode of this show someday. Long. Promise. I watched it this week, uh, the other day, so uh, I can tell you that we will do that. We're we're about ready. I just want to double check a few things, but I think we probably could do this theoretically next week. Believe it or I not, so. I'm telling you this live on the show. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, hope face, you like you said, next. Do it. The next phase is kicking in, right? So yeah, the next next phase starts. Phase five starts in two weeks from couple from yesterday. So quantum mania, we're getting quantum maniacious. So we should probably drop that phase four retrospective before that starts. So, but yeah, so that we'll save our. Sense. We'll talk more in depth about Wakanda Forever in a future episode. I watched oh. some other stuff that had been. Um, Academy Award nominated like the documentary Fire of Love, which is about two volcanologists who uh, were they were like the Steve Irwins of volcanoes. I mean, these people, the, the, the footage that they recorded of themselves 
and they were a couple and they died uh, in an explosion, you know, in a volcanic explosion. But this movie is so beautifully shot and um, like pieced together. It's their own footage, but it's all very like, I don't know. Miranda does Miranda July does the um, narration and she does a beautiful job. It's just, it's almost like, like Terrence Malick esque. It's like, I don't know. I really, really, really love this movie. It was really (laughs) beautiful in terms of how it looked and the, the story about these two weirdos that found each other and, and shared this really uncommon, uh, very risky profession. So that was good. Mm. I checked out um, All Quiet on the Re- on the Western Front, finally. Oh. And, you know, we talked, Mike, it is in German. Um, for anyone watching it, you just have to, if you're watching it on Netflix you have, and you're in the English language, you got to pause it and, you know, go to like the languages and select it to be in German and then you get the English ah. We just press play. It's it's dubbed over in English, which they must have done a very good job for you not to have noticed that. Um, they did, dude. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, they must. My mind. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It it is great. I really really liked it. It's tough, but I mean, it was it was it was really good. And that music, that score is awesome. Yeah. 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 Isn't it? It's badass, dude. I'm, we'll probably never fire it up again anytime soon, but it's really good. <sighs> it's, yeah, it's not something I'm going to revisit a bunch. But it's doesn't have high school. Can it something you could show to class someday? Is it possible? Uh, it's I think it's a little gorier that I'd want to show in class, to be honest. There's I mean, oh. you know, war is one thing, but there's there's a there's some scenes in here that are just like I just this like it's just I, I might recommend it to them, but I'm not going to necessarily be like, hey, let's sit down and watch this. Um, <laughs> OK, <laughs> I watched uh, Till. If I look a little red rimmed around the eyes, I checked out uh, Till this morning and pretty much wept my way through it. I had to take frequent breaks um, to uh, recover from this emotional story. Man, the Academy, the Academy really fucked up. The Academy fucked up this year. It's not just not nominating Danielle Deadweiler for uh, Best Actress for this. This movie this movie and she said it's not just that they're important movies it's that they're really really well made movies and if a movie's amongst the best made movies of the year and it deals with a really important issue and you're nominating 10 movies for best fucking picture maybe toss one of these in there at least one of them it's disappointing that it didn't get the um the, any kind of serious um love from the academy or really much else i mean it's uh I know the story of Emmett Till really well, and I imagine most people do and kind of were thinking, well, I already know this story. Do I need to watch it? Because it's going to be make me sad. And yeah, yeah, you should. It's, it's going to make you sad. And you do know the story. It's one of the most uh, historically accurate historical films I think I've ever seen. I mean, extremely the attention to detail in their lives and what happened. Like, it's all extremely rigidly true to true to life as best we know. Mm. And just really really great i mean it's powerful it's tough again like a really hard watch but i I think everyone should well it's a brutal story yeah that makes sense that they would especially if they're being true to the game i respect that the only thing i'll throw out here first off i heard that it was a problem that uh, the woman king was you know that viola davis was left out of the mix too Yeah, so there's been. I don't think it's fair to to blame uh, Andrea Riseborough, who was nominated for best picture or be, excuse me for best actress. I, there's a lot of uh, yeah. I don't know the story all about that. Yeah, I've seen. I mean, I I like the woman Woman King, and I'm really happy it was well received because I I've been wanting a movie about Dahomey for a long time, and hopefully we'll get more similar stories about like medieval or not medieval, but like that era uh, of Africa and that kind of stuff. 
which is great. Uh, is I, I didn't, I mean, personally, as much as I liked Woman King, I, I didn't necessarily find it something I would shower with awards myself, but Till to me was very obviously something that has been looked over and it shouldn't have been. Maybe people assumed that other people would vote for it or something. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's really good. Wow. Really There's good. one other thing that pops in my mind too, is there was another movie that came out in the last two to three years. Was it the, was it Harriet? You know, the, was it that the oh, movie God, that, that was, was so fucking terrible? The Harriet oh. Tubman movie. I've been wanting a movie about her forever too. And they just butchered the shit out it of that. It was terrible. Oh, they created characters that didn't exist, and they're like, they're like, to like, they created mm. a villain that didn't exist. They created love stories that didn't exist. They left. They made like the the part where she actually like fought in the Civil War. They made that a fucking coda on the film, just in like a text what? at the end. Like, I mean, oh no, it, that movie sucked. I'm sorry, but I, I really I was disappointed with Harry. So that was my <laughs> only thought. This is total abstract. This could be arbitrary as hell, but maybe. That movie not being good, people made assumptions that like these stories told about really important black figures from our recent or just American history in general. It seems like people, well, I know people are dumb. They'll start just lumping stuff in together. They will, and I'm not saying it's right at all. I just think that sometimes this stuff happens. And I've not seen Till, but your recommendation is pretty. It holds a lot of weight with me, especially when you talk about historical accuracy. So. I'm disappointed to hear that. I'm going to watch it as soon as I can just to double check and then I'll you let you know and tell you and, and, how correct you were. And watching the movie, I'm reminded, you know, as I'm watching it, that we it's it's 68 years ago or whatever, but we have still not come that far. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a cough. Um, we've still not come that far. I um, There's things happening in the movie. You look at it I'm like, yep, that's how people respond today when similar events happen. I'm, I don't want to give any spoilers, but some of the ways that she's like treated um, you know, some of the, like the fan or fan mail, quote unquote, that she gets and that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, that's practically like a, a, a tweet that someone would get today if they had lost a mm. child publicly and that kind of stuff. It's it's a it's a tough watch, but it's an important watch. And I'm glad I didn't watch it in theaters. I really am glad that I could watch it at home because I like stopped and did laundry and stuff. I just I had to, man. I just fucking had to. But the best movie I watched of this past week is one that I had seen before. I revisited everything everywhere all at once and i liked it i loved it even more the second time i don't think necessarily that the daniels are genius or geniuses but this movie the sum total of its parts is a genius movie like literal genius movie that i think has read i mean i think it's one of the best movies i've ever seen and i really yeah. really hope, hope it wins best picture it's very obvious to me that it's going to have incredible rewatchability because there's so it, much to take in man that's that's it right there. Like I like going in with like already emotionally invested in the characters when because I, like, I loved it the first time. I'm like, oh, this is great. I saw it in theaters yeah. and like and the hype was there. But like and, and the people were even then were saying this is the best movie ever. And I'm like, well, certainly it's not going to be. But I'll go see it in theaters because of this hype. And I loved it. And then watching the second time the other day, I'm like, man, I'm gonna watch this again soon because it's just it's just you can get so much more out of it. And you're getting hit with well everything everywhere all at once. So there's a lot to take in. But man. Love it. I love it so much. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no. Are you going to get into it? Okay. Oh, no, I'm just going to say one yeah. thing. I'm just saying All one right. thing. <laughs> Cooney is so <laughs> funny. It's one of the funniest things I've ever. It's so funny. I That's what I was going nuts when I watched it the first time. That yeah. whole sequence and is so funny. I've never even seen Ratatouille, but it's enough to get it <laughs> and to laugh my ass off. It was such 
a funny bit. And that's just a tiny part of an overall film that is a yeah. huge heart and an emotive expression about the lived experience. I'm with you all the way. It's an incredible it's, film. and I can't wait to watch it again. And that gets into the the brilliant or one of the million, many brilliant things about it is that the most absurd and hilarious and stupid moments are also fraught with all of this sensitivity and emotion yes. and like depth. And so like you're laughing at this, this something that comes up. You're like, that's so fucking stupid and ridiculous. And then the movie keeps going and it return to it. And you're like, oh, my God, I've got fucking goosebumps about Rakakuni. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's a brilliant movie. And if you've not seen it, the, hyper, the hyperbole is um, high on this one. And I'm adding to it. But, man, it, it really is yeah, that good. It really is that good. I, co- I concur. So two Travis, well, uh, two people, one named Travis and one named Mike, can't be wrong, can they? No. You're done. No. Okay, my turn. <laughs> Sim and I pod here. Uh, I watched uh, the Fablemans. I knocked that one out, What'd and boy, I really wanted to turn it off after about forty <laughs> minutes, but but I stuck through it. And then I was like, "Damn, this is a pretty damn good movie." And he he got me. Spielberg got yeah. me. I I wasn't sure he's gonna get me there. It was a strange dynamic, but it also was really really set in the time and place. So whether you want to be in that time and place or not steven spielberg clearly even at his age it doesn't even matter he's this is one of his better films i I actually am gonna say that i really think it's still in terms of what he does and how much supposed detail because you do a lot of reading about it i did afterwards i wanted to know and man like the things he recalled from his own life to make specific scenes here painful experiences for him really well done man i i'm not like a spielberg honk i i I respect the hell out of him. And then when you look at his career, you're like, okay, well, there might be some popcorn involved, but the guy loved movies. And he also wasn't afraid to, I mean, he's made some of the most brutal sequences in mainstream Hollywood films too. So he's not like some, I don't know. I don't know if some people see him as like this popcorn, vanilla, bubblegum filmmaker. Cause he's gone really raw on some hardcore subjects in his life. So I, I think I mean, people know they've seen Schindler's list and the color of purple and stuff. I mean, he's certainly a, I, yeah, guy. I sometimes I think I yeah okay maybe that's fair. maybe uh, people don't see him that way. He's a great filmmaker, and if this was his ode to his own life and his family, then good for him. It's it's an enjoyable film. It really uh, it really crept up on me, but I liked it a lot in the end, even though I want right. to turn it off after forty minutes. Which says something. I will. It, it does. I'll leave it at that. That <laughs> says something. It really does. <laughs> it does. Uh, I watched Tar. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. Man, this movie is fantastic. Yeah, it's what really a, good. I mean, I can't believe what I found out afterwards. <laughs> I blown away. I was blown away after the fact to find out what I found out. I don't want to tell it's people. I, well, spoiler, here we go in three, oh, two, one. She's not a real human being. <laughs> I was like, where's the Google? I'm Googling Lydia Tarr everywhere. Oh. They had so thoroughly convinced me, Trey. I was thoroughly Mike, convinced this was Mike, a- Michael, we talked I talked about this on this show with you, how she's Woo! a fictional character based I'm on so a very I'm so glad I missed real- that. I'm so glad I missed I, that. We spoke about it with you. I'm so glad I, it went right you, through you my live on the-, no. on the air fed. Oh, I know what you're doing. This is what you're doing right here. This is what you're doing. 
<laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's what you were doing. That's Bravo. a good impression it, of me, it, actually. It, it's yeah, not bad. Do it often. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> for those uh, listening, not watching, I was just looking at my phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's She's based on a, on a real person, but not a real person. She is based on a real person. I'm not going to repeat myself. God damn it. But yes, we, I, don't I, got, I, about I got that. It was totally fictional. That's what I read. I did a lot of digging on this afterwards for like an hour. She's, she's based, I mean, there's a there's a woman composer who is a lesbian woman who is the only until recently was the only top notch woman composer. I'm repeating shit. Sorry for those that actually listen to the show. Um, who okay. is, uh, I believe you. I'm just yeah, it's, it's based, she has literally like the same life of, of Lydia Tarr other than the controversies. So um, so it's very much probably wow. based on this individual. I, for, I forget her name. Something. I mean, they set it up so well in the beginning, but you got the real Todd. It's like, oh, wow, she's on NPR. This is very real. She, it, Todd Field, what an incredible yeah. effort here, man. I mean, everyone's given Kate Blanchett her due, which she deserves, but this is a really, really uh, in-depth film that takes you in all sorts of places about today's world that we live in right here, right now, and it's challenging us you, the viewer, and everybody in the film watching it or acting it out. Do we accept this? Is this okay? Is this not okay? I love this film so much. I was engrossed in it. Even if it did kind of meander for a while towards the end, I love the questions that it asked and that it presented things to us as an audience about, hey, are we just... You know, where's the nuance? Where's the discussion? We're just making blanket final choices no matter what. There's no more detailed breakdowns of events that happen to people. It just looks like a public thing and things get edited in certain ways. I mean, it's crazy. It's so crazy. And Todd Field gets all the credit for me. I think it should, he should get best director. I really do. I would have given I him best too. director. I, I agree. Um, If Daniels get it or if Martin McDonough get it, I'll be happy. But yeah. honestly, I think Todd Field deserves it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I do remember you saying that, actually. I do. Yeah. Okay, you were listening to me. I feel validated. Yes! I caught something you said once. Uh, I also listened to you, believe it or not. I do listen, because I wanted to watch The Triangle of Sadness after you said it was such a great send-up on capitalism. So I fired that up immediately. And there's an island, (laughs) which uh, you talked about on Is It Safe? Another boat, another (laughs) island. Shit! That's three movies now. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, it's been a movie of of rich people on islands and donkeys. There's been a lot of donkeys, and and this in Triangle of Sadness. There's the overlap, donkey and an island. Oh yeah, tough donkey scene in Triangle of Sadness. Uh, but I, I had I had to fast forward it. I had to get I had to, I, could, I had skipped it. I couldn't. <laughs> you get did. It. Uh, yes, I almost turned the movie off. It was yeah. like 15 minutes left of the movie. And I was right. I almost. I mean, no even though you thing. understood the connotation of the situation that they were desperate people couldn't, on it, couldn't handle it. Couldn't <laughs> fucking handle it. It's the noises. I love donkeys. <laughs> I, I didn't know you love donkeys. Well, okay. I know you love animals, love period, but no, I should have assumed that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Triangle Sadness, it, it, it's a it's a good movie. Kind of lost me, though, after a while. I, I, maybe I got too excited about the things you said about it, and I had raised my expectations even more, but they kind of lost Sorry. me. No, but the way it's done is, I guess right, I just no, got, no, I got lost. No spoilers, no spoilers, but there is a scene on the boat when everything kind of goes to shit, so to speak. Yeah. And that's that scene that all of that in particular. I mean, I was just like clapping and cheering and loving it. Just yes. Suffer. Yes. <laughs> I, I did dig that. I, I like to build up on all that. Yeah, that was cool. But once they're on the island, I guess I kind of was like, I would have been mine if the movie had ended been shorter. I really wouldn't like if it had just yeah. 
but there are great aspects of community culture hierarchies on the island and that's i admit that i just i guess i kind of lost myself maybe it was such a climax after that that i kind of no i agree the, the third act should have been the strongest and it wasn't okay. i agree all right fair enough uh I really loved, I talked about this on one of our movie tidbit minutes. So yeah, there is actual real information in those segments, believe it or not. And I followed through on mine by watching Jesse Eisenberg's When You Finish Saving the World. And it is fantastic. I, I hate to, I'm gushing about movies today, but what a achievement for Jesse Eisenberg. Julianne Moore and Wolf, Mr. Har Finn, Finn Hard, Wolf Hard. Finn Hard? Finn, Finn Hard. <laughs> Finn Hard Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> oh shit i'm sorry finn i totally biffed on that finn that's my apologies to you his fault for having that finn. name yeah. finn wolfhard i mean that's not a real name no no someone made that up in okay. an agent's office thank you all right we agree on that for sure but man i would like people to watch when you finish saving the world it's a fantastic film again dealing with what's going on the generations today in a not as a uh intense way as todd field's tar is but a lot of jokes a lot more uh brevity but some very uh serious introspective moments for characters julianne moore is still crushing it she's fantastic in this film she plays i thought i said this on the show about a month or so ago that dustin hoffman in the Meyerowitz stories from Noah Baumbach, I thought that was like the quintessential boomer character of recent time. But I think Julianne Moore has topped that with an incredible boomery performance with Finn Wolfhard as her son, who's a streamer. It's just fascinating. I really recommend it. Watch this movie. Let me know what you think. It's about social issues. It's about how we react in public versus how we are as a family at home. It's just really intriguing. And I want to give Mr. Eisenberg full kudos for making a really good film all right when did it come out simple film or 2020 yeah it just came out like a couple weeks ago because when i did it on movie tidbit minute i think right before the new year or right around there i said it was about to come out so no i don't right. know if it went actually i, I don't <laughs> i watched it i'll just say i watched it i don't know how i or where i consumed it just that i watched it so i don't know where it is but it's somewhere in the world um that's informative that's thank vague. you Mm. Yeah, I, it wasn't on a streaming service that I looked up. I'll just say that. So it's somewhere out there, though. It is cryptic, very cryptic. I know, I know it is. That's the best <laughs> I can do for you. We're on a we're on a show here. We're doing the Cinema Night podcast. Cryptic is our specialty. Isn't that our slogan? Uh, yeah, it's uh, about cinema. Okay, I watched the Pamela Anderson documentary, and I I really enjoyed it. I I learned a lot from her perspective. Some people might be like, "Who cares?" I was intrigued by it. I thought she was very honest about her own relationships and the pain that she went through by living as a public figure who really just seemed like she wanted to seek love. She really wanted to have a great love in her life, and she wasn't able to do that. And fortunately, she created children with somebody who she really loved but was also a massive piece of shit. So that's Tommy Lee. But, uh, intriguing. I was intrigued by it. Another documentary I watched was Senior, and I had never heard of this. Did you? Have you heard of this? I've not watched it, but I've heard of it, yeah. I would uh, I would definitely recommend it. The curious, unusual, which you should expect. I mean, you've got Robert Downey Jr. and his father making a documentary together as his father is, you know, he's he's Dying? on his last legs. Well, yeah. 
I, I mean, he's dead now, so I guess yeah. that's not really a spoiler. <laughs> but the documentary came out last year, and they're both trying to make a documentary from their perspectives because Robert Downey Sr. is such a control freak. It's really an interesting documentary. It's unusual. And you get... I've, I've often wondered if Robert Downey Jr. acts a lot. I know he acts. He's, he's a good actor. But, like, who is he versus the... To me, he's been one of the more confusing... Where is the person and the actor? Because a lot of the way he seems to be is so quick-witted and sharp and fast. And he's played a lot of different characters over 30-plus years of cinema. But sure. seeing this no, documentary gave me a new side of him, I guess, is what I mean to say. I think there are some actors that are like chameleons. And then there's some actors that kind of go out there. And how would I handle this? If I was this guy, how would I do this? And if I was this person yeah. in this situation, how would I do this? And they just kind of play themselves over and over again, which is fine, too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, no, that's, yeah, it's entertaining. It's more. entertaining. Yeah. When he when he tries to go big and like uh, disappear in a character, usually it's not super convincing, like uh, in dreams, <laughs> for instance, with the red hair. Um, yeah, he got shit on for Doolittle. I didn't see that one, but uh, oh, you know, I'll see it for myself to find. Was Doolittle good? No. Okay. Remember I, when, we, when we first started the podcast? I got really drunk and I watched Doolittle and Cats back to back, and uh, oh! <laughs> that was rough. I I do remember <laughs> that. I don't remember the specific yeah. words you said, but I definitely, especially Cats. It was such a memorable nightmare, but so was Doolittle. So, anyways, uh, check out Senior. It's on Netflix. It's a great documentary. It's about a father and a son, but it's also about movie making and a, a guy that I, I'm a moron. I should be a huge Robert Downey senior fan. Like his movies seem like movies that I should enjoy. They're off the wall in their goofball fest. They're not mainstream, but the messages he sent throughout his films, I mean, with Putney Swope is such a send up on the time and place. It's still relevant today, but I haven't watched a lot of his other movies and I'm going to do that. That'll be my next mission this year is to knock out as many Robert Downey senior movies as I can, because I think, him and I were simpatico in a lot of things. So there you go. That's some stuff All I watch. Right. It's great to watch movies. I love movies. They're fun. Oh, uh, by the way, yeah. I, I wrote this down just for you. Fucking Simon shows up in the Fablemans. I, I paused it and I typed it in exclamation points. Simon! There he is from Henry Fool. I was so excited. <laughs> oh, James Urbaniak. James Urbaniak. Yeah, James Urbaniak's in there. Yeah, I, I definitely, yeah. I like. I didn't even necessarily recognize him at first. I recognized his voice because he he plays. Uh, um, yeah, he's Avengers, getting older. Avenger Senior. Yeah, he's starting to get. We're getting older. older. We're, we're all getting older. older. We're all getting older if we're lucky. But yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't recognize him on the screen. But as soon as he started talking, I'm like, ah, oh, James Urbaniak. There he is. Love that voice has not him. changed. Yeah, it was good to see no. uh, Simon from Henry Fool, our old pal from the yeah. dump days. All right, there it is. 79pod at gmail.com. Let's dive into our main focus. It's now to dive in to a movie that Travis Roy has selected from 1989. <laughs> it's called Dream a Little Dream of Me. Um, That's right. We, Eric sent us a review, by the way. Um, we'll save that we for the end, to, I guess. Yeah, let's save it for the end. No, no, save it for the end. Although yeah. I think it's safe to say if you're a regular listener and you know Eric um, and his exacting, demanding criteria for film, you probably already know how he feels about this movie. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle room for nostalgia or like, hey, they tried. That's true. Um, <laughs> he, he <laughs> they has tried. High expectations and uh, if, they, if, a, if a filmmaker doesn't live up to them, he will let you know. So spoiler well, alert on his feelings there. That's fair. It was directed by someone who has the last name of Rocco? Rock? Row? What's that guy's Mark, name? Mark Rocco? Mark or Marcus Rocco? Or is it Mark Rocco? Yeah. 
Mark Rocco, uh, was, the one I and know, only. I know he was adopted by Alex Rocco, the actor who played uh, Corey Feldman's father in this movie. He did. Ooh, no, 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 what did you say? Like, uh, no, no milk, no cookies, nothing. No, that Alex yeah, Rocco. He's, he, I swear to God, man. By the way, uh, Alex Rocco played Mo Green in The Godfather, the famous yes, scene. Did. So you, you'll you know if you're hearing this or seeing this, like, oh, who's Alex Rocco? You, you know who Alex Rocco is. He was a very famous looking dude with looks like he had silver hair from the time that he was, I don't know, 10 years old. <laughs> you know, yeah, he had the dude, whole Steve I looked Martin this up. Hair. Yeah, he's got the Steve Martin hair. He was in the Winter Hill Gang, though, for real. I don't know what that is. Oh, the, the Winter Hill Gang is uh, Black Mass, uh, you know, Whitey Bulger. He was really in oh. the Winter Hill Gang from Massachusetts and Boston. I was like, oh, my God. And somehow he That's like weird. got out of that life. He was actually accused of murder once, and he was not officially tried. But, yeah, Alex Rocco seemed to have like wow. a gray area of not just the Godfather Mafia life, but he might have been mixed up when he was younger. So oh, He's so like squishy and dad-like in this movie. It's hard to uh... <laughs> I know. That's well, all I can imagine. think of him as. Yeah, he's an old <laughs> man. He's an older man, but he's probably like 40 in this movie at most, actually. Yeah, he's probably younger than us for all we fucking know. Yes, um, I'm telling you, he probably and, was. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so this movie's not about Alex Rocco. Let's go <laughs> back in time. Travis, uh, we always like to Rocco. talk about our first viewings. I'm sure you can recall your first viewing of Dreamy Little Dream. I got a lot to say about this, actually. Because, um, you know, the, the reason I picked this movie is because last week we did The Running Man, which when we talked about that movie, I talked about how I remembered it as one of the first films I remember seeing, more or less, especially like in a, like a film made for adults, not like a kid's movie uh, as a kid. And this movie is not quite at that level, but because it was 89, so it was a little bit older, but so I'd seen more at that point. But still, um, by that point, uh, you know, we got this recorded for us. Uh, someone, you know, dubbed it as soon as it came out on, on VHS. So we had a copy of this in our homes and I watched it a lot. I mean, I watched it like a lot, a lot oh for boy. three or four years of my life. It was on a regular rotation. I had the soundtrack on cassette. I have a very fond memory of uh, being at our dear and departed friend, Brandon Harview's home uh, the night before he and I were go- being taken to Cedar Point uh, in fourth grade, listening Ooh. to that set on my walkman like like we're like pa- like passing the headphones back and forth and i remember like i loved the the song into the mystic by by van morrison and i'll never forget that he like I, i'm like hey I, I want you to hear the song i think it's really great he's like you like country music and so i didn't tell anybody <laughs> that i like van morrison for like 20 years <laughs> or 15 maybe but uh <laughs> yeah, so I grew up just religiously watching this movie, listening to the soundtrack a lot um, and all of that. And and then and rightfully did not view it for, I don't know, decades. Not, I probably hadn't watched it since sometime in the early 90s until a couple nights ago. I figured, you know, why not uh, throw on something that pro- I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about it. But I, I had I knew it was going to be, you know kind of like backdraft where I was like, well, maybe it'll be great and it'll surprise me or maybe it's total trash, but it came from this period of my life where I didn't love movies because they were good or bad. I loved them because I owned them and watched them a lot and that was good <laughs> enough reason. <laughs> hey, that's all you need sometimes. I mean, this, age, yeah. yeah, I saw this movie on VHS around probably early 90s, maybe like 91, somewhere around there after I moved to Heartland and uh, I remember watching it like two or three times and thinking it was really bizarre. And I'm like, what is this? I don't, I didn't really understand it at all, but I didn't have a, 
We didn't really have a copy beyond that. I, I might have even caught it on HBO a few times, and that's where I got, again, HBO was a big part of my movie development in the early to mid-90s. So, But I I just remember being like, I don't understand what's happening here. And I, I don't even really remember any memorable lines. The thing I remember the most was like, Who's that girl? Well, she's really pretty. I do remember Meredith Salinger, and I was like, wow, yeah. that's a beautiful woman. So Yeah, that was my she was actually my first uh human crush. Now the, the <laughs> um Heathcliff's friend, the junkyard cat, had a girlfriend cat. Uh yep. her and Ariel, you know, the 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 little mermaid were among like my first crushes. And then Tracy Esker, I don't know if I should name drop her, actual human being, but like, you know, in, <laughs> in first grade, like myself. Um, and I had a crush oh. on her. But Meredith Salinger in this movie was like the first like adult woman that I'm like, oh, oh who, who is this? Look at her in the leotard. What's happening? What am I experiencing right now? What am I feeling? And I was a sucker for brunettes. Brunettes the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, some people are a sucker for cornrows and manicured toes. So to each his own. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, she's. I just remembered her, and as I got older, I was like, yeah, that's all I really remembered about the movie, <laughs> other than the two Corys were in it, and Jason Robards, something bizarre, and Meredith Salinger, and that's really all I, I maintained from this movie experience. Uh, as far as the IMDb rating, this is... I'm going to guess low. <laughs> you're going to guess low. Okay. Um, it, it was pilloried. I mean, when it came out, it was uh, not a raging success, despite the fact that it came out when they were still at their peak, the Corys. Um, but it, it kind of bombed, um, at least especially for them. Uh, I think it was a very slim age range of people that couldn't necessarily think critically about this movie. Uh, so I'm going to say it's 5-4. It does have, so it's got Jason Robards, Harry Dean Stanton. I mean, these are legitimate. No, no. No, it doesn't just have Harry Dean Stanton. It's got with the, Harry Dean Stanton and Corey Haim in the credits. Yeah, like, and, how did Harry Dean Stanton feel about being getting with while Corey Haim got the and billing? Like, oof. Yeah, a, <laughs> I was thinking about that because Harry Dean Stanton was in Pretty in Pink. So he had, I mean, in terms of like going into this world of like the teenager yeah. movies of the 80s, he, he had established a presence. So maybe he felt like, yeah. whatever, I'll get a paycheck. I mean, Repo Man was a while ago. I, I, I don't know, Paris, Paris Texas. Texas. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, so this was definitely like a paycheck. You could kind of get that that feeling between him and Robards and Piper Laurie that they're like, oh, yeah, we like money. <laughs> yeah, don't forget, Victoria Jackson was in this. And oh, she's, yeah, Victoria Jackson. She plays Corey Feldman's mom and... Mm -hmm. I couldn't recognize her first because I always her to me her signature look was that big curly hair the blonde hair that she had but the first time you see voice. her on screen she's got her curls in and, and I'm like oh my god you look so different yeah. and that she voice talking yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm Victoria Jackson yeah that classic voice I always tell Leanne last night because I'm like she didn't re remember who Victoria Jackson was I'm like oh you'll see her um, when she comes on camera you'll totally Victoria recognize her Victoria Jackson oh, sweetie and. Nora Dunn. Was Victoria Jackson? This is a quick side note, but was she funny? Like, I feel Rocket. like she, she oh, uh, was funny, no. but like she nah. didn't really get a chance to really show off any like real classic skits or opportunities. And there also could have yeah. been, who knows, some misogynistic tones there. But Gilda Radner also was a woman who set the tone of Saturday Night Live in the beginning. So I don't know. I was, it was a Gilda, random thought. Gilda Radner was diverse. Uh, yes. Victoria Jackson was a one-trick pony. She had like one character that she did over and over again and everything pretty much that she ever did, more or less. So eh, no, I don't think that she's a victim of anything personally. Well, 
There's your answer. See, I just wanted to double check. Uh, but yeah, okay. So you said five four. Yeah, I'll I'm say. Sorry, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say in the mid fives, five four. I think. I think nostalgia could play a role in. I'm gonna say this is like a six, like a a dead six. Okay. A dead six. Six point oh. Yeah, and the answer is. Oh, well, it looks like you were closer. No, I was closer. Oh, it's a tie. It? We hit the median. It's 5.7. All right. How about All right, that? 5.7. What do you know? Yay. We're both I'm, right. Wrong. By the way, though, less only 7,000 ratings, so it's not very high. As many people as, who watched this when it came out, I don't know how many people have watched it since IMDb was created, let alone <laughs> that, uh, took the time to, you know, rate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy okay so we always go over yeah. to rotten tomatoes and things get worse this could be this might i i'm sorry this might be the lowest ever nine percent like, i think i saw that yeah nine percent that would that uh that's pretty Jeez, low uh, that's really yeah. harsh because I think the audience scores a 67 uh, yeah i think nine percent is even lower than um the annihilators or blood diner <laughs> the annihilators kind of like- i didn't do the blood diner show but the annihilators was just like incomplete didn't exist so we'll just give that an incomplete oh, yeah. but okay. i didn't <laughs> do the blood <laughs> diner right. show so maybe that was lower yeah um but, this is, no i think this is yeah well okay so five seven all right in the fives Definitely but a 67 not- on the popcorn side so almost a 70 percent. that's a that's a massive gap this is the biggest gap we've ever seen it's huge huge gap Wow. Gap band. Yeah. You dropped a gap on me. All right. Let's see. Uh, critical reviews of this film back in the day are very, there's only one page because it's old and yeah. it's not like a, uh, I don't know, a powerfully yeah. like, mainstream film, I guess. It was pretty mainstream, though. I mean, it was, it was, theater it was, stuff. okay. Maybe it mainstream was the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. I don't know. It was, I don't, actually, I don't know what I'm saying. Electric boogaloo range of uh, of films. It wasn't something that people were taking super seriously. You think Leonard Malton chimed in here? We got Ebes. Who else we got? No Malton, but we do have Ebes in Shallot. In 1989, Roger Ebert said, Dream a Little Dream is an aggressively unwatchable movie. <laughs> aggressively unwatchable. Ebes. Also, was that in our text thread that somebody posted about? That Roger Ebert never thought he could hate a movie with Harry Dean Stanton in it until now? No, we did not talk about that. Okay, well, I, then I found that on my own. That That's another statement from Ebes. He loves Harry Dean Stanton, but this is Dude, the first movie he... I mean, Harry Dean Stanton is an incredible actor, and he just kind of shows up in this and is like, hey, I got a members-only jacket on. <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm gonna uh, like awkwardly and almost like too intimately kiss your wife in the morning uh very strange always strange always strange who 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 kisses their friend's wife on the lips <laughs> as a hello and like like That's hugging normal. her like your arms are around it was yeah. i was sitting next to the i'm like is that weird and then joking about you should run away with me like this is your friend don't let don't let this man <laughs> in your house I know. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't just me. Uh, we go to the Washington Post. Richard Harrington. Who knows who that is? He's probably dead now. Player. Yeah. Uh, folks Maybe staggering. Yeah, this is from a long time ago. Folks staggering out of Dream a Little Dream may well wonder what the heck they just saw. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, the New York Times. Walter Goodman said this is one incoherent movie. I have a hunch <laughs> that the writers could not figure it out either. Oh. 
Come on. <laughs> the writers were Daniel J. Franklin, who did the story, and of course, director Mark Rocco and Danny Eisenberg worked on the screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three brains. <laughs> there's didn't didn't necessarily uh sew up all the potholes or the plot holes excuse me uh, yeah they, with their three brains what were you maybe they didn't there's only one red tomato on this page and it comes from allison rose of flick direct and this by the way is like last year this was march of last year that she did this so yeah. she's seeing it in our current time and giving it a red tomato by saying if Dream a Little Dream's plot sounds like Vice Versa or Freaky Friday, <laughs> it's because it is, with some slight variations. In this one, they swap bodies, but one set of the bodies vanishes. Ah, that's why it's different. That's why it's different. The old people's bodies just vanish. Yeah. Don't, we don't know where they go. <laughs> yeah, we got to mention uh, Yeah, Vice Versa. Uh, uh, like father, like, like son. father, like son. Thank you. He was, Dudley Moore. Is that yeah. the Dudley Moore one? Once Judge Reinhold, Dudley yeah. Moore, Kirk Cameron. These are people that are yeah. in these two movies. They, they did. And then, you know, Freaky with Vince Vaughn, which was terrible, but that came out a couple years ago. And there's oh. been some others, been some yeah. others. But to me, the, 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 the cream of the crop has always been uh vice versa. Obviously that's the winner out of that genre of films. I never Fred really Sandwich? thought of this one. Um, no, uh, Judge Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah, Judge Ryan holding Fred Savage. Okay. Um, is that one with the weird skull that they both put their hands on? Um, <laughs> that's right. That, that one was the good one. I never really thought of this one as that, though, even though it is because it is like a body swapping thing. But, but Feldman, you know, Bobby doesn't go into Coleman's uh, body, which would have been interesting, but that's not what happens. They're, they are in this weird, like, liminal brain space, uh, with their. <laughs> corporeal bodies somehow dragged up there with them i don't i don't get that but yeah, yeah so it's not quite that but it is that you put echo on their voices that it makes it dreamlandy that's what it is so every not every word either just like every 10th word like oh, oh, oh an echo with uh, uh, that delay uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah and i mean that's a nice house i mean that house has a lot of screen time that house and the yard we spent a lot of time in that yard and that pathway do we all have a pathway i mean remember how i used to cut from your house to the front sub to the back sub I used to always go oh, yeah. by abby but the butler's house cut right through yeah. there that was the place yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where we would cut through, and that was like a regular. Th but those those people were fine with it; they didn't care. You know, they they didn't pull a Coleman on yeah. us. Like their dad but, was a yeah. cop too. Never heard a damn thing about it, as far as I know. So. What's funny is at the very end of this movie, it shows you know Bobby and Laney are walking. You know, they don't want to take the shortcut; they they take the walk around, and, you, and the camera pulls back. You can actually see like the walk that they are gonna take, like not using the shortcut. And it's like <laughs> holy shit, the shortcut saves them, like. I don't know, 15 feet, something <laughs> ridiculous. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like they literally, it saves up like 10, 15 feet, like, like less than a yard. <laughs> it's, you're not wrong. That is exactly what's going on. <laughs> so uh, some things I noticed, uh, Corey Haim uses the same character name that he used from License to Drive, except they switched it. Dean was the name of Corey Feldman's character in License to Drive, and now Corey Haim plays Dean in this movie. No, I don't know why. He's, he's Dinger. What are you talking about, Dean? He's Dinger. He's never Dean. He's Dinger. His character's name is Dinger. There's no other Damn name it. used. They the never character. call it. Oh, shit. I swear. I got to tell you, it sounded like Dean a few times the way it was spoken by other people. And then he was also oh. called Dinger. So I'm going to go Dean back and review the tape. 
Yeah, you go ahead and re- yeah, go ahead and rewatch this movie again. <laughs> Why not? Uh, but I, they might, maybe they call him Ding for short or something. But his name's Dinger. Yeah, it is Dinger. But I, I just thought I heard Dean a few times, so it blew my mind. That's maybe all that, I thought. Maybe that's his real. It could be the character's real name, and like maybe a teacher calls him Dean or something. I just didn't pick up on it. Oh, possible. Uh, also, uh, so Corey Feldman looked weird to me. There's a lot of close-ups of Corey Feldman in this movie, and for some yeah. reason, he looks. He looked a lot worse I've, than I recalled him in other films. He looked more haggard. I don't know. He he didn't look as pretty as he's looked uh, in his previous films. It seemed like maybe they wanted to do this on purpose, but also it's a movie, so I don't know. Then I I, I dove the... into it. Turns out, hey, he's on heroin and he was having some hard times. So oh, was he? Oh, that explains. Yeah. He does look pallid and like not well. He looks kind of yeah. sickly. Yeah, because um, even Leanne said last night, like, oh, I thought he was the cute one. What happened? I was like, yeah, well, I don't know. No, he doesn't look well, and that, that explains a lot. Also, watching old VHS movies, you know, movies that were like you used to watch in VHS, and now you're watching uh, on, on high def. I mean, like, I'm like, I'm watching the movie. I'm like, man, the makeup person just did a terrible job through this whole movie. <laughs> really bad it in. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> we're probably not supposed to be able to see that well. <laughs> so on the surface, so – this surface film is like, yeah, uh, there's a moment in time where this bike accident slash <laughs> guy's running. He just wants to run home. He's so excited. But unfortunately, Dinger's uh, got a cast, which happened in real life. They had to turn that into his character because Corey Heyman, his mom, oh. got in a motorbike accident in real life. So oh, then he had to wear it for the they, whole movie. And that's why they blamed it on his mom in the movie. I yeah, guess. which is, oh, wow. <laughs> the next funny. level. But uh, this moment happens while... Robards and his wife are doing their transcendental meditation thing in the yard, and then boom, everything changes. But the reason I bring this up is this movie has a lot of spirituality and like uh, beyond the surface discussion and viewpoints, especially from it's all comes from stems from Robards' character. Like he's this guy who's trying to find this world oh, yeah. between the dream world and reality and wants to live forever. And, and that is interesting. It is. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot more existential than, um, you know, similar kind of movies. Uh, for instance, I mean, and, and then in, in cerebral, I mean, uh, I don't remember there being any quotes by Robert Jane or Robert Green Ingersoll or Oscar Wilde in, uh, you know, dream or in <laughs> like father, like son yeah. or vice versa for that matter. But, um, yeah, there's, there's very like some heavy stuff going on, but it's also so hodgepodge and weird. It's like this here, we're going to do some Eastern stuff. We're going to have some like Tai Chi stuff, but we're not going to really explain he's just meditating a lot he's meditating a lot and he's doing some tai chi and somehow that's gonna make him transport his i mean he does seem like he wants to transport his body into a youthful person because he's trying to like make them live forever yeah i don't know it's very <laughs> slipshod i think what you're describing here also leads into this film being all over the place all uh, oh, fucking over the so place. how do you define the editing of this film because it's obviously intentional but how do you encapsulate it um, well, Eric, our co-host, uh, I believe he said it's the worst editing he's ever seen in a motion picture. Right. If, um, but it's intentional. It's not like, uh, at least I, I believe it's done so uh, blatantly that it is intentional. Like, give me some, like, what, what specifically are you referring like the, to? Okay. There... Like the three second shot of Meredith Salinger beginning her aerobic dance exercise in the beginning of the film. Then it cuts to the panning over to the restaurant on the balcony slowly. <laughs> Like it's literally like three seconds, like boop, boop, boop. That's one example, I would say. So. 
I, I feel like watching as I'm watching the movie, I think to myself, uh, I wonder if Mark Rocco is doing the editing and not letting the not letting the editor do the editing or if they mm-hmm. got like some sort of discount editor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's the first time editing a movie. It's 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 noticeably bad editing like that's it, it, it's rare that you would like that's the thing it's like you're not supposed to notice the editing you're supposed to like watch a movie and, and and chalk everything all the brilliance up to the director and not notice all the work that the editor is doing but if they do a shit job like this you, you do start to be like what's with the pacing what's with this what's going on here? like what's what's happening here this is so piecemeal and yeah there's um there's a lot of that going on in the movie for sure but he's trying to blend the two worlds so I understand that was probably right. his intention, but then it fails miserably. I think, in terms of the editing, because especially in the beginning, I think it, I think it kind of calms down when he's when once the transfer of consciousnesses consciousnesses <laughs> takes place, uh, because the first in the first part of the film, they're trying to like draw these parallels between Coleman and Bobby and between Lainey and Gina, and so they're they're like have like the like we'll talk about something and they'll cut to someone else and someone else is like a different scene is going to finish like a similar conversation. And they're doing all this stuff, trying to show the parallels between their lives that exist before even the event. But yeah, it's not done (laughs) expertly, I would say. And it comes across instead as like a movie coming out of a blender. I think I have less of a problem with the editing. The editing's got its issues, but I understand his intent. It doesn't destroy me, and it doesn't ruin it for me. But the acting, some of the acting is Hall of Fame bad in this film, and I'm going to give you one example right off the bat. William McNamara, who plays Joel. (laughs) What? That's the first one that comes to mind. You don't say that William McNamara is with the finger pointing. With all the finger pointing, you're going to tell me (laughs) And the, he's got an alcohol problem. It, it's just portrayed so. I don't know. I, it reminds me of like when I used, I made films with my films. I made movies with our home video camera with my brothers and stuff back in Detroit in the early '90s, and they were just stupid movies where the acting was just piecemeal gibberish. It, it was just fighting. It was a lot of fighting. But it reminded me of that. I'm like, oh my god, Mr. McNamara, you're so bad as Joel. You're supposed to have this alcohol problem. You're supposed to be like this pissed off guy who is like just wants to fuck. Meredith Salinger, but he doesn't appreciate her for who she is, and then he gets violent with her, And but like it's done in such a way that the way he expresses it, emotes himself, it just doesn't exist. It's, it, it, in a way, it's almost like it actually works on like a weird meta <laughs> level because it's so absurd that like a teenager actually would be this bad or confusing in a way, almost, but not quite. It's distractingly bad acting. Okay. It's, it, it's so bad that I'm watching the movie, you know, the other night. And I'm like, what the fuck else? Is, I mean, tell me this was the <laughs> beginning and the end, end of this person's career because it's terrible. No. And I look it up and I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. He was the bad guy in, in Copycat. And he wasn't even great in that either. Um, and he's done some other stuff since. And I'm like, well, he must have like a father in the business. or something. Yes. I mean, I, I don't I can't act. I don't think it's fair typically for me to judge actors too harshly but you know as a sports guy you you know that you can tell if someone's good at playing football or whatever even if you couldn't do it and watching this movie i mean 
what were they thinking allowing this? How do you not record like two days with this guy and then be like, uh, we need to do some reshoots guy playing Dumas. We're going to have you <laughs> jump in and play, uh, this role, you know, play the role of Joel instead. Cause that would actually make sense. Cause you actually do have some kind of like hard edges about you. Yeah. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah. Oh, misfire casting. I'm sorry, William McNamara, but I hope your life bad. is okay now. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I think he's alive. He's I mean, Mark Rocco, the, He's probably real estate. Agent. Yeah, he's probably yeah, an agent I mean, right now. Can't be doing film. <laughs> <laughs> no, he probably is doing some. He's probably like made appearance in somebody's shitty nostalgia reimagining of something because everything gets a reboot or a new opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised you know, if he appeared, you know at least in a tiny, tiny role. He's. He, I think he probably went and started like the world's tiniest cult somewhere in like Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he may have done that. Uh, the director Mark Rocco is dead, by the way. He died in two thousand nine, and he I just did. wanted to mention that because you know, good luck in life in the afterlife. Mark Rocco will miss you. But Quite he also directed. He directed Murder in the First, like so he did do, <laughs> which is like a legitimate film at least, yeah, even if it's not. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, that was his was last directorial effort. Ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. But the, quite a few people have passed since this movie. Alex Rocco has also passed. Is, uh, I think Victoria Jackson? No, she's passed too, right? I think she I did that, like yeah. I could be wrong. Uh, and, of course, obviously, uh, Corey Haim is no longer with us. Uh, a lot of people yes. have not uh, survived this movie. But it is starting to be, you know, it's a few decades old now. So that's what happened. Victoria Jackson is still alive. Let's update that. All right. All right. Yay! According to Wikipedia, which doesn't always tell right, the truth. Well, uh, but... Yeah. We haven't Good really enough. talked about the two Corys. Uh, I guess we have to talk about the two Corys because it's a two Corys movie. Not? Yeah. Uh, what do we say? What is there to say well, that hasn't already been said about these two gentlemen yeah. at this point in cinema? Did you know they had weird, bad lives? Um, I know um, that uh, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard a rumor. I know that Corey, Corey Feldman came by recently. To your house? <laughs> he did. Why? He came by the like, Token you... Lounge. He went. To, he played the Token Lounge oh, a couple months ago. Yeah. I, I think I even might have messaged you. I'm like, hey guys, we you go. Did. But I thought, like, I think people thought it was like, no, it's too sad. I'm like, oh, it is. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I don't want to go see. I don't want to go see Corey Feldman at a venue designed to hold 50 people in the suburbs of Detroit. Uh, <laughs> it does. I mean, and I've seen like his band. The music is terrible. It's. Um, <laughs> It's oh. just depressing. It, it, I feel bad for the guy. I can't help but feel. I mean, like, you know, he tried to like. Um, there was a minute that I mean, I, clearly things have happened to the man. I believe him. Uh, to a, you know, I, I believe that he was severely fucked up by this industry. I absolutely believe him. I know that some of the claims he's made about Corey Hames' life that like Hames' um, wife or excuse me, Hames' mother and sister have denied and said it like that he's out. That he's like not well. That, didn't happen but I, I i'm willing to believe that something happened to both these young men um and certainly if nothing else the the drugs at the at a young age did did not help them i know he wasn't thrilled that Corey Haim was actually cast in this movie he was trying to separate himself and like uh, distinguish himself and kind of start his own career which i understand that too but also if you he could was like see a that you could movie, see that Oh yeah, he he really is going big in this movie. Like he's clearly like I'm the star. I'm like here, let me do all. I, mean, I, I feel like he probably dressed himself in most of this because fashion is a big part of this movie. And I really strong. And like we know how he like how he is about fashion in real life. So I think that that is a lot of like him. And there's just like oh, what about the fucking scene where he's like in the in the bleachers watching uh, Meredith Salinger dance, and then he just goes hey. 
hey. And they start like, and he does like the worst Michael Jackson moves you've ever seen. And it's yep. just like five minutes of him just buffooning around and like, like what is this serving the <laughs> plot at all? Like you get a feeling that he was a big star and could kind of like tell people at the time that like, right, let's do this. I want to do this. Let's do that. I want to yeah. do that. And Mark Rocco's like, oh, great. My dad was in the business, and he's got enough pull to get me to be the director of this movie. But I still have to listen to Corey Feldman. So right. it's at the time. I mean, it's 89. Feldman, I mean, it's filmed in 88, likely. Very, very yeah. powerful. Corey Feldman, Lost yeah. Boys, everything. I mean, this is – Corey. I feel bad for Corey Haim because I actually like Corey Haim's performance in this. He's He does what he does. That He's just – that's Corey Haim. He makes his quips, and he's got that <laughs> – you know, the, eh, I'm Corey Haim, and, and he's got a lot of good lines though about yeah. being a friend. And what actually, when he's trying to stop Joel in the car from being, yeah. uh, by the way, I didn't remember the gun thing at all. I was like, oh my god, there's a gun in this movie, and Joel's gonna go crazy <laughs> with a gun. That was just I had forgotten about that entirely. But Corey Haim was really trying to be a friend, and I'm like, oh wow, he's actually trying to be a good friend here to Joel, who doesn't even deserve it. But hey, that's cool. Good Corey Haim was rock solid this film. He is put off to the side. Corey Feldman has this. He rages out in the one scene with his parents where he's, again, mm -hmm. he's playing. It's Jason Robards as Corey Feldman. I actually think Corey Feldman did a really good job of expressing the wisdom and experience of being the Robards character within his body. I actually thought he did. I, Not you, at all. I so or is it just the words? It. I, it, it's the writing, I think, sure. But um, I, when it comes, like, when he wakes up, in the body of Bobby, his response, he, he looks at himself in the mirror for a minute and goes, oh, okay. And this kind of like runs out and then just like, that's there's, like, there's, he's hardly surprised. We, we like, there's not a lot of whatever going on. And he's just acting like Corey Feldman the whole time. There's, I, as I'm watching the movie, there, there's no, he doesn't try and walk like an older person. He doesn't try and move like an older person. He doesn't try and change his cadence with the way he talks or like anything. It's just, no. I mean, the only, the only things that we get that are, remotely like the Coleman character are in the dialogue and that's it. There's no change whatsoever in Bobby other than like his dress. Yeah. I guess I, I saw it a little differently. I did. I thought he, but, the words are clearly what make the separation of the character seem more realistic. If you want to use that word, but I thought when he is talking to his teacher, Hey, what's wrong with you? Why can't, you know, but by the way, his teacher grabs him by the shirt in the collar yeah. and sits him down. I'm like, well, can you do that? I don't think you could do no. that. No, you don't also, do that. with Corey Haim and Mr. Feldman, by the way, the movie opens with this extremely excruciatingly long improv of the two of them pontificating like they're four, like it's dinner, my dinner with Andre. <laughs> Great music. I do like the music. I like the cuts and the music, It, but it's not my dinner with Andre. It is these no, two young kids who don't know shit about shit and they're trying to pontificate, smoke their cigarettes like they know about life and the existential dilemmas of existence and love and yada, yada, yada. It's it's a fun dichotomy the way it's set up in the opening, but what they're saying is like, oh my God, you guys just look like assholes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, teenagers. Uh, and like exactly. Hollywood, written by Hollywood teenagers. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that, that opening sequence is... Uh, yeah, it's a little. Uh, it's long too. I, the movie's long. I I, I reread as always. I reread my notes right before uh, we started the podcast, and I actually made two notes to myself, both the same note. I didn't realize I made it twice, which was which is, how is there so much movie left? I don't know. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, like movie, we've like, all had that like feeling. 
I'm watching the movie like well, like they're clearly edging up towards the climax now, and then I, I hit pause. I'm like, there's 40 minutes left. That's the climax is like a moment away. Like they're clearly right there, but no, no. It's That's why they had to do the whole Joe gun yeah. in an alley thing, and then yeah. It, oh my oh, god! How about so the speech. Corey <laughs> Feldman, it is finest, his finest hour. It is the worst speech. Literally, he's like, hey, fuck you. You have a gun. Fuck you. Point at me. Fuck you. And fuck you. And that's pretty much <laughs> I actually thought he was going to get shot. I, I had remembered the film like, oh, that's what happens in like Robards can't get back to reality because he gets shot. But that's not what happened. Spoiler alert. So It almost should have been what happened. I wrote down. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it wasn't great acting. And, and yeah, it was just like a who gives a shit. Hey, you got a it's gun. Not- who cares? Take it or leave it. Let's go get a beer. Yeah, the but then he forgets about how important Lainey can't fall asleep is. Who gets drugged by her own mother, by the way, and a stepdad slash boyfriend with the worst haircut ever. Yeah, and mustache. He comes booking into the house. He breaks into the house. I mean, he races up, but like be- right before that, like we-, we literally see him like drinking beers with his boys. So like, <laughs> I know. He's gotta rush over there after he's done no with sense. his beer. He's gonna run, and like it's all super dramatic. <laughs> like, let's go chill. Oh wait, let's have a sense of urgency. Those are two separate things entirely on the spectrum. Oh my god, that makes no sense. <laughs> And that kind of speaking of editing, that kind of thing happens frequently throughout the film, where like this this mood is set or this tone is set, and then like the next scene, you're like, wait, what? I wrote down here: express yourself to a guy in a meaningful way, and you're gay. Uh, that oh yeah, that, that, that yeah. means you're gay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell someone that you care about their friendship, and that means you're gay. We we did get some F slurs in here, but it is an oh, 80s yeah. movie featuring like high oh. schoolers. So. Not shocking whatsoever, but I did. No. I thought that was funny. Uh, uh, what about Jason Robards agreeing to do this movie? Because he opens the seat. He also actually opens the movie too with his little dance on the stage, and he's just having it up. Oh man, he opens it. He opens the movie dancing on stage, and then he closes the movie dancing on stage. And both times does some of the worst lip syncing I've ever seen anyone do. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. Like, I mean, he's just like talking. Like, he's clearly not like he, his mouth closes and like the music's still going on. Or the, like, the lyrics still going. On. It's just like he maybe doesn't have the rhythm for what they're trying to make him do. It's pretty. So, funny. how did he get into this project? How do you imagine I, this happened? I can only assume that either you know, again, like Piper Laurie is in this shit, Harry Dean Stanton is in this shit, uh, and Jason Robards is in this. So, I can only assume. That one of them got pulled in by Alex Rocco somehow, uh, and then they kind of convinced the other two, like, "Oh, Harry's doing it, and Piper's doing it. Okay, okay, I'll jump <laughs> in." Not, it'll be, uh, it might be like, you know, for one, it's like an existential thing, and, and the kids are going to see it, so I'll get paid well to see it, and maybe I can hang out with my friends. <laughs> it was a busy year for him. He did Parenthood that year as well. And a couple other movies. So he was, it looks like he was really churning out the movies in the late 80s. In fact, yeah. in from 87 up until 90, he did 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 movies before he did Ooh. Quick Change in 1990. God. Oh, yeah. Well, he, yeah, he played, uh, I can't think of the character's name, but I loved him. In, I loved him in Quick Change. Um, Chief Rotzinger. 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 Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ratzinger. Um, you know, I how old was he when he did this movie? Probably sixty or so, I would guess. Yeah. yeah. Um he died in two thousand. He was born at twenty two, so he was almost seventy. Yeah. He was almost seventy. Yeah, he's pushing seventy. So probably he was thinking my expectation is like I've only got so much time left to make money 
and do movies. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, like, honestly, we, did, we just saw Bruce Willis do a similar thing where he knew that his time was running out. And everyone's like, why is he doing all these shit movies? But he's got to, like, make hay while the, while the making's good. And that's, that's a good point. probably what he was doing, too. That's a great point. That's fair. Also, and you know, he was still doing, like, Quick Change is a good movie. I like Parenthood. You know that. So they were hit or miss. They can't all be winners. And he was still doing good movies at certain points. He was just oh, yeah. working, working, and working. So Magnolia was still years away. Yeah, exactly. He did Philadelphia in 93, too. So he had a few uh, more in him. Oh, absolutely. It's just funny that he's in this movie, but it makes more sense when you kind of lay out the possibilities of how movies come together like this. And I I just imagine a bunch of people showed up to the set, maybe never even saw each other a lot. Like, how many scenes are Robards and Feldman actually in together? Just really the dream sequences. And by the way, what's that red shit they spray on the lawn? It's not water? Is that like a chemical? I didn't understand what that was. The Crimson Tide. Uh, I, I assume it's some sort of either like plant, like, you know, like a plant feeder, like a flower feeder or oh, like a weed killer one or the okay. other. Um, some sort of chemical that could spray it all over them. But yeah, you, we, we, we see them in the opening sequence, like always at the house. Yes. So, you know, pretty much every every other than the uh, outro of them dancing on stage together. I believe every sequence that the two of them are in are all at that same house. <laughs> so probably the two of them, Robards probably showed up for, you know, this is what, like a, I don't know, six week shoot, seven week shoot. He probably yeah. showed up for like four weeks and just stayed at that, you know, not at the house, but like the, that was the shooting location the whole time. Cause almost everything that Robards done, does is literally there. And so he probably <laughs> just did all of his shit first and got it all out of the way and then went on to make his other movies while the kids went and finished the movie. He did go to the restaurant. That's the only other one I can think oh, of. Right. That's oh, it. No, You're and right. There's, and there's, there's the date too, because like oh, they, yeah! they do like this terrible date where they like they they do the classic like drinking of wine thing that no one ever does. You don't. You, how do you cross your arms and then drink together at the same time? Um, <laughs> yeah. So the, there there is that weird date that they do. Time goes on. <laughs> That, that it, it's a great soundtrack. We get a lot of Dream a Little Dream. We get other songs many, like many takes of Dream a Little Dream. Well, many, versions. yes, many takes. <laughs> we get End of the World. We get by REM yeah. End of the World as we know it. Which I don't know. Maybe that song became more famous after the fact. It would have cost. Seems like it would have cost a lot of money to get that song. But it, um, you know, it would have. That was song. That song was the hit that got REM like that took them out of college radio and into the, the you know the upper echelon because like that's that's why. Uh, out of time was so well received. Otherwise, they wouldn't have paid attention to it because that that song, that song, and um, the one I love were both pretty decent, sing- pretty well received singles at the time, which was well before '89. Um, okay, but at that's... the same time, that that song was so uh, indicative or like ubiquitous. I, I think I mean to say through the era, right? Yeah. Like, it's, so you're gonna have like a high school movie. It almost seems like well, we gotta have this song. It's the song, <laughs> and just like every other 80s high school type movie there's got to be a big dance and a big dance scene where everybody's really good at dancing there's that big wide shot of the whole gym and everyone's dancing like (laughs) professionals it's so funny it's classic 80s always with a flask yes someone's got a blatant flask on the dance floor treating treating the high school like it's a goddamn bar and like (laughs) like like a club they're all so adult why are you hanging out at the bridge which is clearly a bar like some sort of alley bar yeah um they just go to this alley and just like park there and drink their beers i don't know it's very Uh, (laughs) adultish in a lot of ways some of the things that they're doing in this movie Um, oh man wow uh what else anything else we haven't covered What's more romantic than taking a woman on a date 
and um, getting up on the hood of your car and like looking out at the sky over a river while you are next to a garbage can fire. Beautiful. I mean, it's garbage can fire is very romantic. I thought teenage romance in a nutshell, my friend. I mean, just a gorgeous evening. And of course, uh, you slowly see headlights coming your way. You don't think much of it until, of course, they bash open the door and knock (laughs) you down and then beat the shit out of you. And it's cool. You know, I'm going to so. run straight towards this car that's coming towards me, and I'm going to make sure I'm like feet away, <laughs> inches away from the end of drive by yep. me. <laughs> and dumbass is going to say, I'd rather jerk off. So, I think I'd rather jack off. Is which is the biggest lie of all time. If Meredith Salinger came up to you and said, I want to make love to you, dumbass, don't lie to us. Get real. Yeah, but no, you are no, a dumbass, so. Yeah. Well, what what is the relationship between Dumas and these no people? No one anyways? knows. Are they friends? Are they not friends? At one point, like they talk about, you know, like, I mean, there's a scene when Joel is like walking up with his lunch and Dumas just comes up and starts eating off of his tray and Joel yeah. doesn't blink an eye. I'm like, Psycho Joel is supposed to be like a hard on and be angry all the time. Like, why is he allowing his bitter rival and enemy to just eat french fries off of his plate? Because it makes no sense. That's, that's the whole point here. You've just kind of nailed on is these friendships. Are these people friends? Are Joel and Bobby Keller really friends? Are these people connected in right. any real meaningful way? Because I just never really see how that ever developed in the first place. And I really don't yeah, see much it, of a difference between Dumas and those people at all right and Dinger is friends with uh with Bobby clearly but he could give a shit about Joel because he's constantly telling Bobby like hey don't not like hey don't sleep with our friend don't try and make out with our friend's girlfriend or trying to steal our friend it's like hey he's gonna beat you up he's gonna hurt you yeah. uh, out of a sense of self-preservation so it's it's very much but maybe that's a point they're trying to make about high school and yes yeah, it's a thing though it's a thing is you could interpret it that way. Like I said earlier, it's like, oh, wow, he's so absurd that and teenagers can be absurd in their decision making and they don't know what to do and they think they know everything all at once. You're right. But I don't know. I'll leave it open to interpretation, but I think maybe our final thoughts will be the judge of this. Is there anything else, though, that we haven't covered on this that we need to talk um, about? Like notes wise? I, I feel notes. like we have gone through it really fast, but um, at the same time, I don't know how deep the movie is really. It's faux deep. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know uh, what else that we really need to say. Um, I know that at one point I made uh, like Dinger's got this great Vietnam army jacket that he wears for the whole thing. I remember like, oh, fuck, I had one of those. I had like an authentic Vietnam army coat that I used to wear like in middle school and like early like and I, and I lost it like what an asshole I am to have lost something like that I really, uh, and the guy that gave it to me I feel really bad he was actually the guy that recorded dream a little dream for me on VHS oh. um, so I, I, I had so watching the movie was fun though because it definitely brought up stuff like that you know there's lots of memories that came up watching the movie that I had seen so you know like, like I mentioned the, the memory about our friend Brandon uh, and and that kind of stuff so it, it brought up a lot of stuff for me because it was very much in a very specific time of my life, which I am grateful for that. Yeah, the first time I ever saw Travis, he was absolutely wearing that green jacket on the bus. Really? Oh, yeah, <laughs> all the way, man. I can see you right now on that bus with that green jacket on. <laughs> I could have gone down a whole other road being the kind of guy that showed up to high school wearing an army jacket. I'm glad I, I'm yeah. glad I didn't become <laughs> I'm really glad person. you didn't. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, <laughs> it was for yeah. the best, I think. But, yeah, that this is the type of movie where – I don't actually connect to it when I think of my own 
high school memories like other movies i have i'm like oh man that really reminds me of my friends and i or some event it it, it doesn't have that same effect to me when i think about how these people interact in the daily i mean the daily routine of high school it's not as done in as an awful way in this film. Like some high yeah. school classrooms, the way they're set up and like how everyone is just in misery. Like it's not always just like that. Like we're all trying to get through it, but not everyone's like, oh, like people are actually paying attention a little bit and are engaging in some conversations. It's a mixed bag. And this movie actually did okay when it had a classroom layout and it had yeah. teachers, but it also didn't show teachers as like these all knowing people either. They're just kind of there facilitating things which i thought was cool well that and that was one of the things that was kind of interesting about the movie too is that we get a lot of bobby's parents and a bit of uh laney's parents and of course we get you know the older people like stanton and cole and uh you know robards's character and stuff but in a lot of ways like parents and, and like parental and authority figures are kind of missing from the movie they're, they're here but they're not um, like even when they're there, like the, the point, the point is partly that they are di like divorced from being in, like, they're not engaged in their kids' lives. I mean, literally like, you know, Bobby's parents like talk to each other instead of him and stuff. And that actually, I agree. Not much of this rings home to me in terms of like my high school experience, but by the time we were seniors, uh, while I had good relationships with both my parents and they spoke directly to me as a, like I'm a person, <laughs> there was still very much. Uh, not a ton of oversight, as I think we discussed last episode when we were talking about mid '90s, and there was there was this feeling at times where like, hey, like we might as well be at a club, we might as well be adults. Um, we certainly acted like it, even if we weren't. And sometimes <laughs> that could lead to, for us, it never led to a situation where someone was pointing a gun at someone. But you do take things at that age like super fucking seriously when you don't necessarily need to. So I kind of thought that some of that stuff actually rang surprisingly true. Oh. Just because William McNamara, who played Joel, was a terrible actor, the actual character with the gun is saying, I'm not taking no shit from anybody anymore. And the fact that he was drunk, it's not ridiculous. It's not. It's a party. Who's yeah. got chips? Right? <laughs> That's actually a good line. It's too bad. That was the one thing I'll give you, Mr. McNamara. That was actually That was right. the best yeah, I that did was the chuckle. best delivery that he had. I had a minor yeah. chuckle on that one. I'll admit that. It was memorable Still enough. Awkwardly the way it's, it's so awkwardly said, though, even still, it's like, man. Yeah, the way he, there. yeah, his physicality just doesn't exist. He's like, he's saying lines and there's no physicality to it at all. But poor Joel, poor Million McNamara. I, yeah. I feel, I'll always feel for him and I always will. By the way, you talk about the parents and Laney's mom is just like the worst. Uh, I don't even know what's going on there. Like, there's the, the wine and pill diet. Is what's yeah. going on. <laughs> when she popped up with that pill and she drugged her own child, which is literally what yeah. happens in this movie. Uh, like internalized misogyny also is going on. Yes. Like, she's a very disturbing character. Yeah, it's really bizarre and uncomfortable to see the scenes between them because you're wondering, what's the issue here? What happened? Like, yeah. They're trying to make her seem like a cold, frigid bitch. But then she says herself like, oh, maybe I could have been more warm, which is like something maybe a guy would have written, not that you she think? would have said. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I kind of felt bad for the way that was yeah. set up. But then like that guy showed up with his mullet and his mustache and he's not, he was a terrible actor too. He was a horrendous right. actor. I don't know who that guy was, oh, but yeah. oh my God, he, was he bad? Uh, he looked, I mean, he looked like Rob Reiner, but it wasn't Rob Reiner. That's all <laughs> I can really say. Like a young Rob Reiner. A blonde. Right, oh, yeah, do, a young one. Our, uh, <laughs> yeah. Should we do our final thoughts? Well, you've selected this film, Travis. So why don't you send us off? I'm glad to have revisited the movie. Uh, I've been wanting to revisit for some time. 
I, I'm not 100% convinced that it needed the full Cinema 9 treatment, but I've been wanting to see it, and uh, I wanted to throw out a wild card. I wanted to you know just kind of mix it up, do something kind of weird. Um, you know, I'd thrown out a couple movies in a row that I felt like I was pretty confident how they were going to pan out, like when we did Michael Clayton. like I knew that was going to hold up. So uh, it, I, I thought I'd just kind of see how this one goes. And it, I, again, fun to revisit. I, I think Corey Haim was actually a pretty decent actor in a lot of ways uh, and, and, and didn't get to do as much as maybe he could have done with his talent. Uh, I, I, I always love seeing Harry Dean Stanton do stuff. Even if I'm watching the movie, I'm like, why are you not interacting with Bobby more? Why are you taking one walk with this guy? What, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, why are they not like, he's, if you believe him, why are you not like part of the day to day? Anyway. Um, so, I had complaints about the movie. I, it brought back some nostalgic moments. As a film, objectively speaking, it does not hold up at all. Ha! Oh, no. Oh, bud. Oh, bud, no. And Corey Haim is an excellent comedic actor. I think he could do comedy for years. And I wondered what it would have been like the more he adultish he became, what kind of comedic actor he would have been. I, wonder, I don't know if maybe the boyish charm would have gone away and it would have taken away from some of that or not, but... I mean, he had a young look, and because he, he was young, but even as he was getting a little bit older, he was a youthful-looking guy, and, and he's fun. He's funny. Corey Haim is fun. Feldman, you got the vibe, like you said earlier. You want to take himself a little too seriously, and, and it's nothing wrong with that. You want to push yourself, and you think you can do things. You got to try, and if you fail, then you'll find out. Do you, you know? do you have to dress up like that and dance? Like, you don't have to do that in your movies. Well, you talked about things that happened to him, and he dresses yeah. up like Michael Jackson. He's obsessed with Michael Jackson. He knew Michael Jackson. Mm. Michael Jackson had his own issues. We have mm. no idea. We, we're not going to give you specific examples here on the show, but clearly, I agree with Travis. Something happened to Corey Feldman in his life, and I believe Corey yeah. Haim, too, because you mentioned he turned to drugs. Yes, you could say, okay, there's a lot of child actors who didn't turn to drugs who are adult actors now. There's actually a bunch of them, and some of them are really oh, good. Many, many. Yeah, it's like almost weird, actually. It's like, good God. A lot How more often? of like actors that are big now, you're like, oh, like, like Jesse Plemons was a child actor. I'm like, really? Jesse Plemons was a child actor? I didn't see any of that, but right. sure enough. Christian Bale, he's a child actor. He was. Exactly. He's, exactly. It, so... Who, who can say what would have happened? But I, I do feel bad for those guys. But, you know, this is yeah. about rating the movie and looking at it. And you find a few highlights if you want. And I love nostalgia as much as anybody. But, yeah, I mean, this movie's it's not something I'm chomping at the bit to go back and watch again. I'm like, oh, man, I got to really figure this out. There's nothing to figure out, I don't think. <laughs> you could play around with it you want. I think there's great concepts here about existence and our lives and how we intersect and, you know, spirituality and the different planes of existence that we're on, but it's done so hodgepodgely and poorly that yeah, you really could, we could give you a lot better examples of other films that you could dive into again or for the first time. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up. And uh, Eric felt the same way. I mean, Eric said it was awful or something like that. I, was... I believe he called it one of the worst pieces of shit he'd ever seen. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, we didn't mention it, but like, I'll, like at the end of the movie, this is, this is important. We should have, we should mention this at the end of the movie for one, how the fuck does Coleman wake up dressed in his living room, like in his lazy boy, where he'd been having a dream. So like, was it all a dream? But worse still, like we hear Corey, Hay Corey Feldman's character be like, oh, by the way, none of the stuff I told you really <laughs> mattered and it didn't happen. Like you, there, none, there are actually no stakes to any of this, but it made yep. for a good story. Ha! And it's like, what the <laughs> fuck? That's not a total blow off. Total blow off. <laughs> 
that's that's a that's worse than a, it's all a, it was all a dream movie. It was like it all didn't matter movie. Yes, you're right. You're right. We should. Abs- I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah, I guess by be at that point I was like, who cares? But you're right. That yeah. is just the cherry on top for the disaster of like, hey, fuck it. Who cares about the viewer? Right. Right. We got paid. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Let's just take. <laughs> let's take this all the way home, boys. <laughs> uh, Eric. Yeah. Eric said. Uh, Good luck. I watched about half of the film before my, uh, you know, he has some stuff going Something on. But he was, up. yeah, it was one of the worst pieces of shit I had ever seen in my life. And this is coming from a two Corys fan. So, yeah. Also, Luke was watching the movie for the show on Thursday, and he said, "Great, now I don't have to finish this piece of shit." People seem to be—they're <laughs> rushing to judgment. I mean, guys, you know, finish the film. It doesn't get better as it goes along, unfortunately. Yeah, it doesn't. You're right. I mean, Everybody. we just literally said it doesn't hold up. So who? who when I started, when I, again, when I started the movie, I was like, "Fuck, it's like two hours. How is this two hours?" <laughs> I'm glad it was a Friday night and I had nothing to do. I, it was the it was the one time where I would be like, "Oh, I don't care how long this is because I'm just gonna be sitting yeah. here playing video games anyway." So, excellent yeah. video game compliment film. I will say that. So, oh, so you're taking notes, paying close attention. Oh yeah. Well, I, I did. I, I wrote down the notes that mattered and that was like five all things. Right, so, right. uh, there it is. We did it. Seven there nine it pod. There it is. Travis, we went back in time. We covered a part of your upbringing. Uh, and I hope, uh, you know, you had a good time with it. It seems I like did. you, uh, you understand it its place in history. Yeah. It was fun to yeah, go I, back and look I at figured it. Even if it was a bad movie, it'd be fun to talk about. It was. It was, it was definitely, yeah. I got a few laughs out of it. And that's all I care about. So it was yeah. wonderful to talk about this film with you. And you guys Perfect. can talk about any film with us. Cinemanipod at gmail.com. Five-star views on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, you can rate us five stars as well. That's been around for a while now. And subscribe to the YouTube. Before we leave, we got to give Eric's selection, Travis. And I yeah. hold that in my hand right here. You know, I don't. I know. What Sometimes we, you get to know. Watching? It's fun. It's fun to be on the other side. Either side, really. So I wait with bated breath. Uh, Well, next week we're watching. I'll read Eric's text verbatim. Okay. Anyways, uh, anyways was after he was ripping uh, Dream a Little Dream more. So Mm. uh, he did. I'll say this too. He said 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. One of the worst films I've ever seen. First 30 minutes is completely incoherent. Okay. <laughs> Incoherent is a good word for this movie. It, yeah, that's it, fair. It's all over the fucking place. Even though Eric doesn't have that nostalgic love, uh, he's right about that probably. Had he ever seen it before? I did, we didn't get to, had he ever seen it? I, he didn't, he didn't mention that. No, he didn't say. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I mean, it was a maybe, movie that came out when he was a child, so I assume he didn't ever watch it until It was only rated PG, so he could have seen it. Yeah, but it had like women in it. I don't I mean <laughs> So at one point, there's a woman in a leotard. Uh, I don't know if that would fly in the Bradstreet household. I got to tell you, I, I love 80s female attire. I, I would love to see a, a comeback on that stuff. I just think women look great in those 80s outfits. Man. During that time when the when the male gaze was widely celebrated, you're right. Um <laughs> wasn't keeping with that. Those aerobics outfits are classic. I just love those. All right. Leg, leg warmers are hot on any on any woman, though. I would agree with that entirely. Yeah. Anyways, my selection for next week is a film from 1999. We're going back to what some people say is the greatest year of film of all time. That's not what I say. It's what some people say. I didn't say it. I didn't say it either. I'm just saying. Someone said it. We're going to watch from 1999, 
Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, starring Forrest Whitaker. Uh, all right, we haven't done any Jarmusch films yet. That's good. I've, I've, he's been a director that we've been kind of neglecting. I've looked at, I was like going to do Broken Flowers at one point. I was going to do Down by Law at one point. Now we'll do Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Awesome. I have never seen this film, so. Oh, no. I yeah. actually saw it when I was living with you, I believe. Oh, you! I might have passed by you watching it, but I never sat down to watch the film in its entirety. So I think, I think, but definitely seen it. But it's been since it was new. Oh uh, yeah. no, because it was '99. That would have been no. I wasn't living with you when I saw it. I take that back. But Maybe. anyway, anyway, yeah, I've seen it. It's been a long time. I'm ready to revisit. Yeah, I got a lot of things to say about Jarmusch, so uh, we'll talk about him next week. And I'm sure he'll inspire a lot of discussion for better or for worse. And that's what we do here on Cinema and iPod. He's Travis Roy. I'm Michael Govier. We uh, wish Eric have a great weekend. Enjoy your life. Congratulations, Luke, on your new child. And catch you guys next time. Wake up or you're going to lose that girl. Beatles, 1965. Ha! Hey. Oh, Corey Haynes. <laughs> <laughs>